Welcome to the Better Call Daddy Show, the number one podcast where we admit no matter what happens, daddy has the advice we need to fix our problems. Introducing my dad, Mr. Wayne Friedman. That was good. It would be nice if you could also sing a song. What would the song be? You love Paris in the springtime. I just made up some words to it. I love Rena in the springtime. I love Rena in the fall. (laughs) That's right. That's good enough. (laughs) Oh boy. Let's dive in. Today we have Jennifer. She is a huge supporter of mine. She's a PR pro. She's here today to talk about being a mom, life, and authentic engagement, and so much more. Jennifer, welcome. How did you get into PR work? I wanted to be an on-air journalist, the Today Show, follow Katie Couric, maybe kick her out of her job. No, I'm just kidding. So I worked for an anchor woman in Philadelphia at KYW and she became my mentor. So I would, you know, after I graduated, I started applying for TV jobs, mostly East Coast and mostly like Philly, DC area. And then she also helped get me my first job at a community hospital doing, being a public relations assistant. And I loved working in a community hospital. It was fantastic. And then I would keep applying for those jobs as well. What did you do in the community hospital? I was a public relations assistant and I used to do headshots. I used to do press releases, work directly with the physicians to get them publicity or their programs publicity or their, you know, my, actually my first one was carpal tunnel syndrome and estrogen replacement therapy. (laughs) Right out of college. It was kind of hilarious. Yeah, it was good. So now what do you know about carpal tunnel syndrome and estrogen replacement? Yes, it's funny. Both I probably need at this point. You know, it's repetitive motions with a wrist, which now that we all have cell phones, for the love of God, you know, that's something to be careful. And then estrogen replacement therapy, well, we'll just see what happens. Maybe I'll need that too. (laughs) So tell me what makes a good press release. Oh gosh, you know, it's all about the punchy headline. The way I learned it was the who, what, where, when, and why. And you need to make it exciting. And it's all about being valuable to that particular media outlet and what those, what that journalist needs, what that organization needs. I always say it's not about me or my client. It's about providing value to that media outlet. And, um, you know, I've definitely worked with people that sometimes they thought they were a little bit more valuable than they really were. And it's a difficult conversation. You and I have talked about this, you know, privately before too. It's really wanting to work with people that have a story to tell and and that are something really valuable for the community. That's the goal. And at what point do you think someone needs a publicist? That's a great question. I think when they are ready to be visible, they're ready to create greater impact, you know, with the community that they want to serve, whether it is literally local community or going national. I know um, it really depends. I think when, and I've worked with startups too before, and that can be hard because I think they need to perhaps be in that two to three year spot because a lot of organizations end up going belly up because they didn't have the financial wherewithal so that I can, you know, I'll do consults for and give them ideas. But you need to start, you need to start somewhere and really talking with a public relations professional would give you a much better baseline of when and where and how. So I feel like, you know, public relations people, people who help entrepreneurs get seen have a bad rap. 
Yeah, because some are slimy and some make promises that they can't keep and some overpromise. And to be honest with you, in terms of publicity and media relations, there are no guarantees. In fact, I did have a, a client at the beginning of COVID get very angry because I did not get him any publicity and was very, very upset. But And I hope I made it clear that there are never guarantees, but he's been an, a very successful entrepreneur for years and years and, you know, a dynamo, but he was upset after this one thing. But I never, ever make a promise I can't keep. And I, I cannot guarantee getting someone on live TV or anything else because for me, all the work I do is earned media. I don't pay for anything. I don't do Facebook ads. I don't do any of those things where your client gets on and then you pay a fee. I just, I decided I never did that working for nonprofits and higher ed like universities. So for me, it wasn't a path I wanted to take. I love getting my client on like 7 15 a.m on a monday morning to talk about mental health and it's live tv and she's thrilled out of her mind because that's an earned media placement that she can then use on her website through her email list and it's that authentic organic engagement to me that is worth so much and really helps to drive traffic to your website which really is the goal of, of you know most entrepreneurs to to be seen and heard and for me it's increasing connections which i know you and i are very connected um, with a lot of amazing people increase your visibility and really the most important thing increase your credibility and that's where pr people can lose their own credibility when they make promises they cannot keep or something that's just completely not possible so what do you know is possible and tell me about what earned media is Earned media is being quoted in a newspaper, having a feature story done on you. In fact, I have gotten uh, one of my clients about 19 earned media placements since COVID began. I got another client who's a photographer in Baltimore City, several media placements plus Good Morning America. So that was really cool. And you start small. I always say start small, local, and then increase that in engagement or increase that spider web because once you get the ball rolling and you build momentum that's how it happens it's so well aligned with my ethics and values as a professional and as a businesswoman and an entrepreneur that i just do it the legit way i just can't imagine doing anything else i just work very very closely and i talk almost you know daily or message daily with my clients because when I meet them, I know whether or not I can I can meet their needs. Sometimes I make mistakes, but it's a collaborative effort. It's it's really teamwork. I had somebody I sent a proposal to, and they said, "Oh no no, we don't need to to talk a lot. Just let me know when I'm going to be on TV or when the media placement hits." And I'm like, "Wow, we just it's just it's not a good fit for us to work together because." when I'm doing really well for a client, we're texting, we're messaging day and night because I'm like, okay, I'm going to be at your house in 30 minutes, wear a navy blue shirt and I'll see you. TV camera is going to pull up outside your house and we, let's roll. You know, that's like such an adrenaline rush for me. That's like, that's the high that I get out of doing media relations. And it's working with people that 
are the real deal. And you and I have talked about this too, that they just want to make the world a better place. I always say, sometimes when you start the ball rolling and you get people media placements, they get the diva effect. And it's kind of, you know, it's, it's, I can kind of laugh as a PR person and I totally get it. I mean, you know, I personally haven't been on live TV, so, you know, I cannot, it's not appropriate for me to judge, but it's exciting. And I, I like to be behind the scenes and pushing my clients out front because they need to shine. As an entrepreneur, I needed to do some media placements too. So I've been on a lot of podcasts of late and I've done videos for my business and marketed myself more of that business development end so that I can legitimately say, this is what we need to do to increase your reach. And I, you know, I use Haro a lot. That's help a reporter out through Cision. It's a free service. It is absolutely phenomenal when you're on top of it every day, three times a day when those things hit your email box. And I got my client an entrepreneur and Tatler Hong Kong, Hong Kong which Tatler Magazine is a, is a kind of a high-end high end magazine and like her local paper as well, among other things too. So the value for media placements, you, you can't even put a place, like a price on it. It's priceless, I think. But I do other things too. It's community outreach and connecting my clients with people that they need to meet that they like, I just, I just all of a sudden, like you do too, I think the electric current start going and you know, you're like, oh, they need to meet this person and they need to meet this person. And then it's just this great connection in terms of building a relationship with a client so that they can increase their reach and, and create greater impact. So would you say that help a reporter out is your best source as far as getting people on the media for for national yes and then for local i do it on my own i still create my own media lists i don't use a service i just feel like especially right now the names of anybody at a news desk are changing daily um, a lot of amazing reporters i'm on twitter incessantly now 24 7 even before covid so i know who's going where and doing what and i'm making really great relationships just hanging out with these amazing freelancers and bloggers and new york times and wall street journal reporters and freelancers so that is important to me. I need to be out there and I also need to be a part of that news cycle that's 24-7, which isn't so pleasant right now. But, you know, I'm on it seven days a week. I know what's going on and I know what I need to do to help my clients and, and where they need to be. What would you say to people that are writing a children's book or writing a book? What do they need to be doing? Do you know anything about that? Yeah, I've done that for a couple people. And, you know, I would start with your local library getting, doing a book signing there. It's for children. Do a children's story time. Getting on your local TV, depending upon the subject matter, anything with children is easy to sell. Anything that's going to help a child is very, very easy to pitch getting a well-written press release, like I said, with a great punchy headline. And how can you serve your community? You know, how are you going to help those parents and how are you going to help that child? And so that's, that's pretty easy. And then your local paper, your local magazines, like I said, your local TV, NPR, you know, and then you can niche it down with, you know, children's lit 
pubs and then getting on Twitter and hanging out with children's literature associations and any big, you know, book conferences and book fairs. It's research and I love to do that. I love research. Like give me a problem to solve and I get creative and nimble and I think outside the box. And I think working in a nonprofit with such a little budget helps you to be very, very, you know, cost conscious and creative and just keep networking. If I have a problem and I know I've called you, like, what do you think about this? And how should I do this? And I love taking my own tribe of my own network of people and talking out a situation and coming to a great solution or a conclusion of how I can help somebody. You also said that you've had to learn things this past year about raising teens. Oh, yes. Yeah, especially since they're on lockdown most of the time. Yeah, it's been... It's been hard. And I have two amazing children. One's 18. So he's, he's a young man now. So that'll be interesting to see how that goes. And then my daughter is 15 and she is very social media savvy. She's hooked to her Instagram, her TikTok. She loves bloggers and YouTubers of all, whether it's cooking, you know, baking, fashion. Sometimes I'm like, maybe she just doesn't need me. She can just look it up on YouTube, which is totally scary and crazy. You know, you give birth to a child, which you did recently, I know, who's totally delicious. He's absolutely so cute. And you just want the best for them. It's their ethics and their values and morals. And, you know, I can preach to the choir, but at the end of the day, they're going to walk out and they're going to be 18 or 20, whatever, in college or whatever. And they're on their own. And I think I just need to instill in them the values that I think are important. They're very different from when I was raised. You know, I was born in 1968. It was a very different time, very different upbringing. I feel like parenting is not so much about being authoritarian or controlling. I think it's more of a little bit more collaborative and you talk about things and you talk about why a lot more. And I always tell my kids, I'm not here to make your life miserable, but I see things ahead for you that you don't see yet because you're just, your brain is not formed yet. You know, it's that frontal lobe, which they hate when I say frontal lobe. They're so tired of it. They're like, oh, for the love of God. But it is, it's just, they, I let my, let my daughter make mistakes. And she's like, oh, you told me I shouldn't do that. I was like, yep, but I'm going to let them fail while they're living in my house because they need to learn what that feels like. And it's safer because I'm going to catch them. They need to, to learn from their failures or their mistakes and then be proud when something positive happens that I want them to be really very um, independent. You know, I let them cook and bake in the kitchen and it's a disaster and my kitchen is so overused. It's, but I'm like, you know what, my kids can actually make homemade pasta and homemade ice cream and they can nourish themselves. It hit me, I think during COVID that I'm like, you know what? I'm good. Like, you know, if they have good manners, write thank you notes, they have gratitude, you know, feel blessed or healthy, taking care of themselves physically, mentally, and spiritually. I'm like, you know what? There's not much else I can do. I mean, I will worry incessantly until they're 30 probably, but you know, at the end of the day, you know, it is what it is. Tell me the difference between being nice and being kind. <laughs> yeah, this I just learned actually from my amazing business coach, Nettie Owens. She texts me every morning. She's kind of my accountability coach too, you know, obviously. She just said, so were you being kind or were you being nice? And I'm like, well, what's the difference? And she literally cut and pasted, I think, the Webster's Dictionary definition. 
And I'm like, holy crap, I never knew there was a difference that, you know, being kind is, you know, being considerate and whatever, but being nice sometimes is to avoid confrontation or conflict. And it's in Brene Brown's book too. I'm reading, it's not Dare to Lead, it's the next one. She also talks about the differences of being kind and nice and, you know, being nice is sometimes being a doormat. I think the generation of kids growing up now are really not going to stand for that stuff. I think especially with the climate, political and otherwise, that's going on, they're realizing that being kind is important and considerate and respectful and treating others with dignity as well. But I think a lot of women in my generation grew up to smile and be nice and keep their mouths shut. And I'm sure back in the 50s, it was much worse, maybe. I have not done research on this, full disclosure. It just dawned on me, you know, and I'm 52 and I'm like, crap, I can't believe I didn't know this ahead of time. But, you know, there, I do believe there, there's a reason for everything. And, you know, if I didn't become an entrepreneur and I just was an employee, you know, at a hospital or a medical school. I wouldn't have delved so much deeper into my own my own soul in a way that I don't know if you feel that same way too. But being an entrepreneur is very much a head game, especially a solo entrepreneur um, like I am. It's really self-drive and motivation and surrounding myself with people I trust and I value and vice versa. It's a lot of learning, which you figure when you get out of college and you're in 20s and 30s, that's when you do your learning and make all those mistakes. There's a whole different slew of them that come at you when you decide, you know, at my age to become an entrepreneur. So I'm grateful to be on the other side of a lot of that learning. And a lot of it's happened, you know, right now during this pandemic. So I am very grateful and I'm, I'm learning a lot and I'm learning every day. And, it, and my kids are teaching me things every day too. So we're all, the four of us are home with our dog. And I, I think until the foreseeable future, we will all be stuck together. Have you had to practice keeping your mouth shut at all? No, I've decided not to do that so much. <laughs> yep. It's not a good thing anymore. <laughs> How about you? Uh, sometimes with clients. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I still claim to be like Switzerland. I'm still, I will still always be appropriate and respectful and professional. But, you know, I did have a client that was kind of mouthing off uh, and just sending out nasty emails and he CC'd me on them. And years ago, I would have not said anything. But now I, I remember I, during COVID, I sent him an email. I said, this behavior is completely inappropriate and will tarnish your reputation. I do not recommend you continue at this pace or, you know, in this fashion. It just, you know, I sent that off and I was completely comfortable saying this is not appropriate. And I've just, I cannot imagine being on the receiving end from a professional businessman, just WTF, WTF. I just, you know, that's not going to get you anywhere. I can't always control what comes out of somebody else's mouth or, you know, what they're writing in an email, but I am very comfortable now not keeping my mouth shut in those instances and saying, this is not right. And then, you know, media interviews, I always tell my clients, say three things, think of a triangle and get out and keep your mouth shut. And then I'll joke. I said, you know what, just do everything that I say and we will be fine in this interview. And most of the interviews I've done have been wonderful community outreach, nonprofit types of things. But if they start babbling on too much, I will then tell them to zip it, <laughs> you know, because you can say too much and it's just not helpful. How do you teach people to speak in sound bites? 
I usually do their talking points for them. So I make very short phrases and keep them, you know, keep them in check. And I always prep my clients and teach them that if you don't want it said or recorded, don't say it at all. And, and nothing is ever off record. I don't care where you are, what it is, don't. And it's not that I'm saying don't trust the media, but it's just better to not ever say anything inappropriate or something you'll regret because it will come back to haunt you in one way or another. Are you editing now? <laughs> of course I am. I'm careful no matter where I am. I've learned my lesson. How do you help people get on podcasts or feel comfortable in an interview? You know what? That's why I like to start local. I've even had some people say, oh, if you want to use my podcast for a client just to practice, send them to me, which is adorable. I think that's really kind and really generous. And it's just practice. It's practice. And I do my training and I've done it virtually too, where we go through, I have a whole sheet I hand them, what to wear, what not to wear and what to say and what not to say. And it's just practice and being comfortable. And it's all also, when you start a business, it's that who, what, where, when, and why, right? And being comfortable representing your organization or yourself. And I do take for granted that people can speak well. I've done debate. I've done theater. And I am very comfortable with, with speaking. But, you know, I've, I've been handed, like gobbledygook, I say, and then I have to reframe it and make it look beautiful. And I love doing that because I love editing down things very, very, to make it very concise and very tight. I do take that for granted sometimes that people have that skill, but that's what I'm here for. They have that unique brilliance in something else. And I need to help them shine in that kind of area. Whereas I will take my skill set and use it you know, in the best way that I can serve them. That's why you like my podcast because I'm all about yes. short and tight. Oh, you are very short and tight <laughs> and editing, I think. I just don't yeah. feel like people have the attention span for one in yeah. three hours. No, I love, I love short, quick, get it in, very energetic and exciting and you're learning something or you're hearing the backstories of all of the other guests that you've had. It was very, they're very riveting. I mean, I think that is what people are interested in and I think being very succinct is helpful for sure. When are you reaching out to Katie Couric? I don't know. I never have. <laughs> I did. I think I interviewed, God, it's terrible that my mind, I swear I have a memory of interviewing Deborah Norville for my school paper back in college. And I literally, I think I have to go look that up, but I think I remember getting her because I think what I remember is she was supposed to get that job and something happened, but that's so long ago. I don't even want to speak out of turn. That's not appropriate, but... I love news anchors. Nora O'Donnell is somebody I really admire right now, too. Nora O'Donnell is just absolutely amazing. Should we shout her out? Totally. I adore her. I think she's just brilliant. Yes, please. <laughs> Why do you love her? She's just so professional. And, you know, she's a runner. She has twins. I've kind of followed her from the beginning. And then I listened to a podcast that she did with two women. And I just really got to know her so much better also. Her husband is a chef. He owns a restaurant in DC. I did tweet to her and she liked it. A couple of months ago, she apologized on Twitter for tearing up about something. And I wrote, I just tweeted to her. I said, you're human. It's okay. And she liked the tweet. So I was like, I feel seen. I feel seen. <laughs> She's cool. She's professional. She has all those characteristics that I like to think I have as well. Just that consistency. I always say clear, consistent content and communication build a community. 
All right, you just gave me my title. Woohoo! What's your elevator pitch? Don't keep your mouth shut. No, I'm just kidding. It is clear, consistent communication is key. For me personally, and my business coach will say the same thing, I keep showing up. I keep showing up on the good, the bad, and the ugly days, especially with COVID. And we're all hitting burnout, and I've had burnout. I didn't even recognize it. I want to keep showing up. I feel as though that is the respectful thing to do to build a business. It's loyalty. That is how people begin to trust you, right? And that's with, you know, Nora O'Donnell, you keep showing up and you're building the credibility level and the loyalty of people that you want to help and service, you know, really serve others too. I think you have to be consistent in everything you do. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. This is really fun. I'm thrilled and honored. This is just so wonderful. Thank you so much. Let people know how they can find you and what you're up to. Yeah. It's, I'm on Instagram at Jen L. McGinley, actually at Jen JLM Strategic Communications, obsessively on LinkedIn, Jennifer McGinley, Jennifer uh, McClure McGinley, and on Twitter at Jen L. McGinley 16. It's JLM Strategic Communications. Yeah, reach out, say hi. You've heard from my mom. Now let's hear from Grandpa. Well, this is a story about Jennifer, and the first thing that comes to mind is when you are talking to someone or you're getting ready for an interview, but if you generally get along with people and you think that you might be recorded or that you are going to say something off the record, there is no such thing off the record. People that really escalate to a higher level are able to conduct themselves in a manner where with whatever they say, wherever they are, whoever they're with, their conversation could be recorded and played back where they don't say anything that could potentially be a problem for someone else or for themselves for sure, or be used against them. And as you know, in my own case, who would have ever dreamt that my own sisters would use everything that I've ever told them that could be used possibly as a negative against me, where they would attack their brother to that type of degree. So the second part of the equation is, is that you want to be able to work with people that you can really trust. And loyalty and trust go hand in hand. If you find that people are not really loyal to you, you can't trust them. (laughs) That's for sure. Isn't it interesting how, just like what we both are trying to do, is to show that we want to be real. We don't want to be give false impressions of what we can do or we can't do or make promises. Or as you know, a a blowhard is a word that I use where you speak about all these great things that you can do or say. It's again, talking the talk. But when I talk the talk, I want to make sure that I can walk the walk. Today's episode is sponsored by Rin10 Media. If you want to look and sound your best for a podcast of your own, you want to get in touch with Rin10 Media. When I first contacted them, Better Call Daddy was just a twinkle in my daddy's eye. And now, only after a couple months in, we're at like 50 episodes. Reach out to info at ren10media.co.za and use the subject line, Better Call Daddy. 
Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and tune in. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Yeah. <laughs>